0: The reading this morning is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and beginning at verse 1. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 4 beginning at verse 1 and it's on page 1146. And it's headed up the nature of true apostleship. This, then, is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, Each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, Do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign, so that we also might. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honoured, we are dishonoured. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags, we are brutally treated, we are homeless. We work hard with our own hands when we are cursed we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4 you may want to be turned to that in your Bible as we look at that this morning and this is the third in the series and uh, Peter and John in the last few weeks have been setting the context and so you know therefore that uh, Paul established the church in Corinth he stayed there about 18 months teaching and then he moved on and when he left a whole bunch of other teachers were around. There was no television or internet in those days. So what people did was, it's amazing to think about, but they talked to each other. and They debated. And they loved to have people come and teach them. And there were all sorts of itinerant teachers wandering around. Uh, some, like Apollos, were on the same page as Paul. Others brought a version of sort of legalistic Judaism with Jesus tacked on. Others uh, pretended to have wiser and deeper knowledge of God's ways. And uh, to be honest, lots of them were fakes and just in it for the money. And the new Christians were at the mercy of these itinerant teachers and the often weird stuff that they were teaching considering that almost chaotic situation, it's no wonder that disputes arose in Corinth. And the Corinthian Christians began to compare these itinerant teachers and and, uh, uh, what they were teaching and uh, their style and their content. And they divided into factions and they supported different ones. And we've heard how one supported Paul and one supported Apollos and another supported Peter. Well, People would have based their preferences on all sorts of things. Some were attracted to the most eloquent speaker. Paul later on confesses that actually he's not highly regarded as an orator. People didn't particularly enjoy listening to him. I remember something in Acts where he preached for two hours and somebody fell out of a window uh, asleep. Yes, I think so, yes. Other people favoured those who claimed to have special insights into spiritual secrets. And others, no doubt, were drawn to those who offered the easiest and least demanding form of discipleship. But the upshot was that arguments arose amongst the Corinthians over which one was the best. We don't have that problem here. I've, I've been here a year. I haven't come across any I'm for Peter badges. Uh, I haven't seen any bumper stickers with John Tiller digs deep into the word. I haven't seen any scars with Ursula's teaching prevents truth decay. Um, So there, there are no cliques or personality pressure groups here. But that doesn't mean that we all agree on everything. We still have opinions, opinions about the form and style of the service Worship, preaching, the way the church is organised, the priorities that we have, the way forward as a church. Probably within the fellowship, there are 150 different opinions on the way in which each of these things should be done. Because actually, we are 150 different individuals. God doesn't do repeats. We're all made different. We're all unique. And we all view things in different ways. God is endlessly creative. So every one of us is a one-off. And it's, it's okay that we all see things differently. What is not okay is what the Corinthians were doing. Which was to express these opinions and preferences as judgments on their teachers. And Paul's message to the Corinthians was this. It's the preaching of the cross which is the most important. All other stuff is irrelevant. Don't create divisions because of your opinions and preferences on minor issues and don't allow personal opinions to become destructive judgments. That was good advice then and I think it's good advice now. And it's clear that Paul was not happy at all that the Corinthians were doing this and he takes them to task for sitting in judgment on him as a teacher and if you look at the the passage he mentions three judgments that every man must face and the first is the judgment of others in verse 3 paul doesn't care about what people think just the the message translation of verse 3 it matters little to me what you think of me even less where I rank in popular opinion. It's okay to stick to your guns over some things and not to worry about what other people say. John Farrow and I were talking on Tuesday and we both said that we we don't care about the fashion police who tell us what colours we should wear each year and how wide our uh, trousers should be and all those things. We said, we don't care about, you may have noticed that John Farrow and I are not particularly style icons. And, you know, that's, that's okay for everyone except our wives who have to walk around with us. That's okay. But, you know, on more serious issues, it can lead to trouble if you're not prepared to listen to what other people say. And many a person, many a church leader has led folks into serious problems because they were not prepared to listen. Many individuals have got themselves into trouble because they were simply not prepared to listen to others. Much trouble lies that way when you think you're always right. The second judgment is the judgment of ourselves. In verse 3, Paul doesn't even worry about judging himself because he says his conscience is clear. And we know ourselves, don't we? We each know uh, ourselves and we're able to identify how we're doing against what we know is right. We're also aware of the times when we've suppressed conscience to take an easier or seemingly more pleasurable route. But you know, there are pitfalls in trusting your own judgment of yourself as well. I don't know if you saw the film about... uh, Florence foster jenkins who thought she was a singer but she wasn't we can deceive ourselves our hearts are desperately corrupt at times the third judgment that we have to face is the judgment of god in verse 4 paul for paul it was the only one which counted god alone knew paul's circumstances his heart could judge paul knowing all the facts. The Corinthians could never do that. Well, we, of course, face the same three judgments. And for us, too, the ultimate judgment of God is the crucial one. We will stand before him. All will be revealed, all the desires and motives hidden to others, which are even now already known to him. But we do need to consider And understand and be aware of the other judgments that we face. And Paul's message here is, don't judge me. You don't know all the facts. Leave it to God. He says, you're judging me at the wrong time. Uh, Verse 5 says, don't get ahead of the master and jump to conclusions with your judgments before all the evidence is in. It's God who's got all the evidence. He says, you're judging me by the wrong standards. It's not about clever oratory or new ideas, but it's about faithfulness to the message of the cross. And he says, you're judging me with the wrong motive. You're judging me not to build up the church, but to out your favorite teacher. It's a fairly clear and direct message about judging others. Don't do it. Actually, it's not quite that straightforward, is it? It's one of those occasions when taking a couple of verses in isolation will be unhelpful because it's not a full picture. For example, even if we move on a few verses into the next chapter, Paul encourages them to judge and expel someone from the fellowship. And you'll find, particularly in the Gospels, in the letters, there's lots of advice about how we should, uh, and at times, uh, judge Others, there are times when it seems it's right to judge. There are times when for the well-being of the whole church, judgment needs to be applied. And if we don't do it, we condone serious wrong, which weakens the church and destroys its credibility and witness. And that's exactly what Paul fronts up in chapter 5. He says, if you don't deal with this guy, it's bad for the whole church. And also, we have a responsibility to each other. To help keep each other, to nudge each other when we're, we're moving the wrong way. That's why we're together in community so that we can help. But that requires us at times making judgments about someone and how they're moving on with God. However, challenging each other for every fault or error that we recognize would prove. Well, shall we say, destructive rather than helpful. I know it would in our household. I'd spend a lot of time in the shed if I tried that, I'm sure. And you can imagine that the atmosphere in the church, if we each felt it our duty to tell others when they were failing to live up to God's mark. Perhaps a good principle might be, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. That's really helpful. But actually then there are clearly times when judgment is necessary for the health of the church. And there are times when if we're going to help and encourage each other to move on in our walk with God, some sort of judgment may be needed. So there's a tension here between these things. And the why and the when and the how to helpfully judge others is a real tricky thing. As Tom Wright wrote in his commentary on these verses, he said, when to judge and when not to judge, when to listen to whispers of criticism and when to dismiss them as irrelevant and time-wasting, these are decisions which themselves need wisdom and good judgment. Now, there's no time to unpack those issues right now, much as I would like to, he said. (coughs) But I've tried to pose some interesting questions to help you wrestle with this for for the the week ahead questions for the home group there's one more response from Paul to these Corinthians which I'd like to move on to and, and bring to your attention he said they were puffed up it's a word Paul uses several times in this letter Earlier in the letter, he has told them that they're like spiritual babies. So immature, they have to be fed with spiritual milk rather than solid food. Far from understanding their spiritual immaturity, these guys had an inflated underst- uh, inflated view of themselves and they behaved as if they were already mature. Already rich, already kings, he says. They act as if they have all knowledge and they can therefore judge their teachers. And here Paul points out their delusion with some heavy sarcasm. You, you guys are so wise. We poor apostles, we're just, we're just stupid. You, we, we are really weak, but, but you guys, you're strong. You're celebrated, but we are nobodies. And then he deflates them. You think yourself so great. You think that you've arrived, but actually you've got it all upside down. And he goes on to point out in stark terms that following Jesus is not about arrogantly judging others because you know everything. Rather, the way of the cross is sacrifice, humility, Servanthood. Reading in verse 9, he says, Much of the time we don't have enough to eat. We wear patched and threadbare clothes. We get doors slammed in our faces and we pick up odd jobs anywhere we can to eke out a living. When they call us names, we say, God bless you. When they spread rumors about us, we put in a good word for them. We're treated like garbage. Potato peelings from the culture's kitchen." This was the experience of discipleship for Paul. Not only the physical deprivations of being hungry and poor, but about how he was treated and how he responded to that treatment. For him, this was the reality of take up your cross and follow me. This is demanding stuff. If you go on and read in 2 Corinthians, Paul lists the number of times that he's been beaten the number of times that he's been shipwrecked, the number of times that he's been in jail. Are we prepared for costly discipleship like this? I don't think here in Shrewsbury we're going to be shipwrecked very often. But what sort of sacrifices might be demanded of us as we seek to follow Jesus? And again, it's, it's a big question And it's something that I've left for you to to work through in your home group. So I think that could be a fascinating discussion for you. What uh, sacrifices might be demanded of us as we seek to follow Jesus. But I want to finish by just looking at this from a slightly different perspective. The Corinthians thought that they had arrived spiritually. They knew it all. So they no longer needed teaching, no longer felt the need to grow and develop. It says in verse 8, you already have all that you want. I wouldn't expect that we would have anyone here who would be so arrogant as to claim to have arrived spiritually. But there may be those of us who perhaps, unconsciously perhaps even, don't feel the need to grow and develop in their faith, in their walk with, with God. Probably isn't a conscious decision, but an attitude that we've slipped into. It's possible, is it not, to stagnate spiritually. Especially if we've been a follower of Jesus a long time. We've grown In our faith, for years and years, we've heard a gazillion sermons. We've read the Bible, and perhaps we still do. We pray and do all the things that Christians are supposed to do. And all that is good. But spiritually, maybe, we're in the same place that we were last year. Or two years ago. Or five years ago. And we're comfortable with that. My background is mathematics, and uh, I'm into graphs and things. And if you were to plot your spiritual journey, your your spiritual temperature, if you like, what would it be like? I'm sure. I'm I'm sure it would be uh, uh, sort of there'd be a time when you were growing with the Lord and you, you learned more and uh, you went deeper into God. Maybe some down times as well. There may be times when it climbed really steeply. You went to spring harvest or something happened. that God really touched your life and you grew with him. But has it plateaued? If you reflect back on, on your life, or your walk with God, has it just, is it just ticking along now at that same level? Are you where you were? Last year, two years ago. When did you last sense God speaking to you clearly in a way that changed your life? Do you approach God's word with excitement because of what he might show you? Do you come to the service on a Sunday expecting to hear God's voice? Or do you think... I've read this before, or I've heard this before. Nothing new here, I know this stuff. Dr. Johnson said, people need to be reminded more often than they need to be instructed. And I sort of understand what he's saying. Many of us can't remember what we had for lunch yesterday, so we do need to be reminded of the truth that we've already learned. And it's sort of God's way that As he reminds us, he takes us each time a little deeper into that truth. But I believe that's a miserly view of the riches that are ours in Christ Jesus. There's an old Baptist hymn. I apologize for referring to Baptist hymns. uh, 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 And it's about this. And the chorus says, The Lord has yet more light and truth. To break forth from his word. Friends. There's more. However. Far you've come in your walk with Jesus. However long. You've been a Christian. However intimate your relationship with God. There's more. There are blessings and experiences beyond our wildest dreams awaiting us. We speak of love vast as the ocean. We speak of a peace which passes all understanding. And that that hymn from the Baptist hymn book speaks about God's love as a, a universe unknown. And oceans unexplored. And when we consider all that God has for us as his children. At the moment, however far we've come, however mature in our faith. We are simply paddling in the shadows. And there's an ocean of God's riches ready to be explored and experienced and enjoyed and why would you settle for less now I'm not here in front of you saying you have all stall in your Christian walk I Because I don't know, I've I've met a number of really lovely people here who clearly love Jesus, have a passion to know him better and to grow in their faith and love. All I'm simply saying to you is that for every one of us, we need to challenge ourselves from time to time. A spiritual MOT, if you like. How is my walk with God? How is my spiritual temperature? Am I moving deeper in my relationship with God or am I stuck? Do I come to God's word expectant? Crucially, the the question is, do I hunger and thirst for more? Is it my heart's desire to know him better? And it could be this morning that God's just nudging you in the ribs and saying, you've been sat there a long time. It's time to get up and move on with me. I don't know. But uh, it's time for us, perhaps a, a moment for us, to, to ask ourselves those questions. And some of us will joyfully reaffirm our hunger uh, for more of God's best. And Maybe there's some here who will acknowledge that Actually, they settled comfortably. And maybe God's prompting them and they say, yes, it's time for me. It's time for me to move on. I want more of you. We're going to sing a song uh, in a moment. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. You alone are my heart's desire. And as we sing that, there's an opportunity for you to respond to God, what God's saying to you this morning. And if he's been nudging you and you're saying, yes, I have stalled, I, 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 have, I haven't moved very far, and now I want to. Just use that hymn as, as your response to what God is saying to you. And uh, I just want to finish with uh, Paul's prayer for the Ephesians which I think is just an appropriate way to finish what we've been looking at this morning. And I've, I've, I've butchered it a little bit because I've, in, I've made it inclusive. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen us with power through his spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that we, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all God, Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all the people said, Amen.